Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers, Michelle Andrews, that would be you, and Zara McDonald, that would be me. I love it when you introduce us like that. Hello, <laughs> Zara McDonald, and hello, giggling little girl hello. over there, Annabelle Lee. That would be me. Hello, producer <laughs> Annabelle Lee. Coming up on today's show, what the fuck is going on over at Spotify right now? Rihanna is pregnant, and her announcement was the most Rihanna thing ever. Former TV star Andrew O'Keefe is accused of assaulting a woman again. A belated return of Hot Normie and then we open the shameless mailbag. But first, Michelle, how was your week? Guys, sometimes I get onto this microphone and I think I do not have a lot to tell the listeners (laughs) about my week. Some weeks are a little boring. This last week was anything but boring. We started things off with a cracking weekend. I actually saw Ash Barty kind of like make history and be the first woman to win an Australian Open final in like 40 years, I think it was. Over 40, yeah. Over 40. I managed to take my mum as well. So it was just one of the best nights for us to spend together. And then early, early on Monday morning, I was actually up watching the men's tennis final. I get a call from my sister who at this point was 38 and a little bit weeks pregnant to say, I think I'm going into labour. I'm going to need you to like pack a bag and make your way kind of to my house. And long story short, by the time I got there, Claire had actually given birth in her driveway in the back seat of their car to it's just it's insane because Claire has a penchant for dramatic labors well, uh, she does not do low-key births old listeners of the podcast remember her first birth was quite dramatic too this one I was like there are some people on this world like if you believe in God or whatever high being you believe in <laughs> there are some people who are given tasks because they can handle them yeah. a driveway birth was for Claire she's a yeah. midwife her partner's a paramedic they were given it because they could handle it it's absolutely insane and given what she went through with the first First labour, if you guys are curious, she ended up having to go into emergency theatre. It was quite dramatic. Claire lost a lot of her blood, actually. So it was a very, very scary experience. She said that this labour, giving birth in a car was like a piece of cake. That's <laughs> the first one. And it's just insane. Like, she's just such a superwoman and I know she'll be listening to this and we are all so proud of you. You are incredible. And fuck, like, if I gave birth in a car, I would be beside myself. Apparently, Claire and Steve were just super calm, which is like, oh, let's call an ambulance and get them to come and then we'll go to hospital and get everything checked. They were home within a day. It's crazy. I know that birth happens all day, every day. I know that there are people giving birth right now. It blows my mind at every point that you just like push out a whole human that just functions the minute they're out. It's insane, let alone doing it in the back of your car. That car's got to get sold. The car needs a professional clean and none of us want to be the one to touch it Uh first. uh, That's not your job. Don't worry about it. That's my week. It's been absolutely incredible. Any recommendations? My recommendation for this week is a two-part series on This American Life. The first episode is called A Couple Walks Into a House. The second episode is called A City Walks Into an Investigation. The story begins with a married couple inspecting a house that they want to buy. It's kind of their dream house and they find something in the house that is very, very troubling. It's a piece of KKK memorabilia and it turns out the house belongs to a local policeman. So the story that unfolds from there is incredibly murky and tricky and difficult to stomach and I just love the way that This American Life covers this kind of stuff. Obviously, if you're in the right kind of headspace to deal with this content, it's great. If it's not for you right now, give it a pause and revisit it down the track. But 
fascinating storytelling. Yeah, I don't think anyone in this world, on this planet, does storytelling better than This American mm. Life. So I am that looking forward to listening to this one. What about you? How's your week? Good. I'm out of isolation. Yay! We're all in the same room. It is lovely to be here. <laughs> I am so sorry to everyone I follow on Instagram now because I will no longer be viewing your Instagram stories within 30 seconds <laughs> of the being up. There is a great shame in being on Instagram, being like, for fuck's sake, I've just liked this photo within 20 seconds. I've watched everyone's Instagram stories. There's nothing else to do, but that's all right. Did you watch The Rescue? You said you had all this time oh, on your hands. <gasps> and you I lie. did have, I just, I watched the tennis. I have to say, mm. given how much I love big sporting events like the Olympics, mm. I think, again, people are given stuff that they can handle. I was given <laughs> isolation when the tennis was on because it's all, I just had it on all day, every day. I was working in front of it. I feel this weird sense of Melbourne pride that we have the Australian Open and we do it so fucking well. Like every time a tennis player gets up and is like, this is my favourite tennis tournament to play at, I'm like beating my chest, <laughs> being like, fuck, yes, it is. We truly are the crown jewel. 100%. Andy Murray tweeted before the whole tournament that this is his favourite ever. And I was like, I needed that because given the whole uh, Novak Djokovic scenario that we're not going to get into, I was a bit worried. Anyway, I do have a recommendation for you both. Now, this is a funny one because after I listened to that Molly May interview on Stephen Bartlett's podcast, The Diary of a CEO, I have been binging almost everything of his and it's a bit embarrassing because do you remember maybe I reckon it would have been the middle of last year when Liam Payne, the One Directioner, went on the Diary of a CEO. Do you remember this? Yeah, and we said that it was such a wanky podcast name and it rem- I think I said something like it reminds me of the kind of guy who would have like three times entrepreneur with like in a his fucking bio. watch emoji We in his bio. roasted it for no reason. I was like, I've never heard of this guy. He's probably <laughs> like, who calls himself a CEO? Anyway... Stephen Bartlett is actually quite legit, yeah. the guy who runs this podcast. <laughs> Extremely so legit. So I would like to correct the record and say, you know what? Actually worth listening to. <laughs> he appeared on How to Fail with Elizabeth Day last week. And look, he's got a really interesting style. I don't agree with every single thing he always says, but the vast majority of the things that he says are really refreshing from someone who's built an incredible business and is trying to now, I would say find happiness most of the time. Like Mm. I would say the majority of what he does now is talk about fulfillment and happiness and meaning. Yeah. And I don't know if this is just 2022 me and now I'm just becoming like a self-help junkie, but (laughs) I am binging not just that kind of content where he's being interviewed, but also his own podcast too. Yes, so am I. And I actually love this recommendation from you, Zara, because I think it's the perfect time of year. If you are feeling career motivated right now, if your mind is kind of geared towards... I don't know, getting that next promotion or launching that business or upscaling your business. This is the kind of interview you want to listen to, but also his podcast, despite the wanky name, is actually kind of 10 out of 10 content. It's really good. We and were that, idiots. We were, we were so embarrassing. <laughs> like He can call his podcast a diary to CEO. So that one I will put in the show notes as well. But for now, Mish, we need to jump into the first segment of the show to ask the question, what is happening over at Spotify this week? What the fuck is going on over at Spotify this week? And before we jump into the actual story that has dominated headlines, we need to say we have no affiliation at Shameless Media with Spotify, not in a business sense. We do not make a cent off of Spotify. I know this might be confusing to listeners who don't know how kind of like podcasting and ads and where you listen works. 
We are served on Spotify like every other podcast app, but there is no bias here when we speak about them. We don't make a cent from them. Yeah, exactly. We are on Spotify like we're on Apple Podcasts and a million different podcast apps. We just sort of put ourselves everywhere so that wherever you listen, you can find us. But that's the extent of it. We're app whores. Yeah, <laughs> we, are, we will be wherever you want us to be. Now, in case you missed it, Spotify and Joe Rogan have found themselves in a little bit of a tizzy this week. For those who need a refresher, the Joe Rogan experience is the biggest podcast in the world. It racks up a reported 190 million downloads a month, which is a lot of downloads, let me tell you that. <laughs> it was licensed by Spotify in the biggest audio deal in history for a reported 100 million US dollars last year. Now, what was really interesting, and people might remember this, is that when Spotify took the podcast exclusively, they took all the episodes bar about 40, Mish, mm. which included everything from interviews with trolls and alt-right commentators like Milo Yiannopoulos, as well as chats with guys like Dave Asprey, who is someone who said he's going to live to 180 <laughs> years old. So Joe Rogan, as we know, Annabelle's face just said, I roll. I roll went straight back into your head. <laughs> you nearly fell off your chair. Annabelle's gone. It's like resus, Annabelle. <laughs> so there's a lot in his history. He has a track record, for sure, of giving rise to conversations that perhaps don't need to be platformed. Well, this is the interesting thing, right? I think we have two very different philosophies at play. The philosophy on Shameless would definitely be not all opinions deserve airtime and deserve a massive platform that gets 190 million downloads a month. Joe Rogan's philosophy is very much all ideas are welcome here. Let's challenge each other. No matter how edgy your idea is, I want to hear it. So listeners can figure out where exactly they sit. Now, given the hypercharged times we have found ourselves living in, an already pretty controversial podcast has now been considered as like extremely controversial. Joe Rogan experience isn't just something that's on the edge anymore. It is incredibly divisive. And in true Joe Rogan form, he has been seeking out alternative ideas on the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, exactly. So this week on Monday, Rolling Stone reported that the 76-year-old rock titan Neil Young got some fans in the room. <laughs> I <you> know. <laughs> uh, well, there were, in fairness to us, there was a hashtag trending during the weeks, hashtag who is Neil Young. <laughs> so it wasn't just us. He sent a letter to his management team and his record label saying that Spotify would have to choose between hosting his music and Joe Rogan. Now, his letter was actually inspired by a another letter that was signed by 270 scientists, doctors and other health professionals in January alleging that Joe Rogan was broadcasting misinformation about COVID-19. So Neil Young goes, yep, I agree with that letter. Hey, Spotify, either you pick me or you pick him. And Spotify said we pick him. <laughs> well, there is a $100 million on the table. Yeah. Like I'm sure Neil Young is a great person but it was kind of like a tiny ant going up against the elephant of Joe Rogan. Yeah, and Neil Young would have known that. He just would have wanted to make a little bit of a splash of his own. Now, soon after Neil Young came Joni Mitchell, who also pulled her music in solidarity. A day later, Brené Brown said she wasn't going to release any new podcast episodes, and I quote, until further notice. Now, Brené Brown releases her podcast exclusively through Spotify, so you can only find her podcasts on Spotify. Spotify. 
Even a spokesperson, Mish, for Prince Harry and Meghan's production company had to issue a statement saying, we have continued to express our concerns to Spotify to ensure changes to its platform are made to help address this public health crisis. So again, Meghan and Harry have their exclusive deal with Spotify too. Yeah. Now this is super interesting because Meghan and Harry have had that Spotify deal for almost two years. They have only put out one episode under it. It was a Christmas special yeah. in 2020. So 2020. <laughs> As soon as that came out of my mouth, I was like, 2020. It's all right. Anyway, so... I uh, Look, reading those names, Brené Brown is probably the most significant loss to Spotify. But unfortunately, even the power of those names together probably doesn't even dent what Joe Rogan offers Spotify. To put into context, you might be hearing $190 million a month and going, okay, yeah, it's a decent number, but all these different people combined might try and get up to that. No, there's really nothing else in Joe Rogan's league. And you need to remember, Joe Rogan's episodes are sometimes three hours long and they are able to serve, Spotify is able to serve that many ads in each episode. They would be making absolute like astronomical bank off Joe Rogan. You need the likes of Taylor Swift pulling her music to try and compete with Joe Rogan's value to Spotify. And just to put on the record, that was not a request to Taylor Swift to pull her music. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know we get into murky territory here. Yeah. But yeah, I agree with you. I think it is his influence and the amount of money that he can demand. And let's be real here. When you say what he is worth to Spotify, we are really only talking in money terms. Mm. His monetary value to Spotify is just completely unparalleled. Mm, Yeah. So we know that these people are very upset about COVID-19 misinformation being promulgated on Joe Rogan's podcast. And the particular episodes they are mentioning are actually conversations with two different doctors. One was crucial in actually inventing mRNA vaccines. The other is a cardiologist. Both of those doctors have differing opinions to the mainstream, to their cohort of experts and their peers who are all saying one thing about vaccines and COVID-19. These two particular doctors are saying something else. And I want to be super, super careful when I give this point because I do not want people to confuse what I'm saying or to get the wrong impression. I do not think some episodes of the Joe Rogan experience are okay. I have issues with a lot of the people that Joe Rogan has interviewed, most specifically I do not like the fact that he reaches into alt-right groups and platforms people with very racist, very hate-filled ideas. I hate that about his podcast and I really do not like the idea that it is so widely supported sometimes. However, if we are sticking to the issue of these two particular podcast episodes that people are so upset about recently, my main question is what opinions deserve a platform on Joe Rogan experience? And the main hurdle for me whenever someone shares an opinion on a podcast is, is this person qualified to share the opinion that they have? Is this person considered an expert in their field? And when we bring up these two episodes that have caused this furore, they are actually concerning two people who I would deem experts because they are a cardiologist and a vaccine scientist. So it's an interesting conversation because although we have two experts who are very educated and are very informed in their fields, 
they are two experts who disagree with about 99% of their peers who are also experts. So we kind of have a situation where if we had all these experts on this particular topic in a room, 997 are saying one thing and two or three experts are saying another. And how the hell do we deal with that? Yeah, and then a lot of people might turn around to that and say, okay, well then clearly it's a freedom of speech thing because clearly we need to hear from everyone, from all of the experts in the room. And I agree with that to some degree, but then perhaps it's not as much about freedom of speech as it is about privilege of platform, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is a huge platform and perhaps people like Brene or Joni Mitchell or Neil Young aren't arguing that these experts shouldn't be heard, but that they don't want them to be heard on Joe Rogan because that platform is perhaps not proportionate to how many other people in the community agree with them. And I think it's very easy in these conversations for them to be flattened. I mean, I know we say that with like almost every (laughs) conversation we have, but I do think bite-sized headlines can really flatten issues because, yeah, I think generally we need to know what almost every expert thinks, but make our own decisions about where those opinions should be held and what kind of audiences they should reach. And then some people might say, well, Joe Rogan only has 11 million downloads per episode and that's not even comparable to the mainstream media. But I also think it's about like a qualitative audience rather than a quantitative audience. His listeners are worth more than any other listener, I would say, across the world, any other consumer across the world. So I would say, yeah, I probably don't think they do deserve this platform. Yeah, I also think it's the idea of do I want these experts silenced? No. Do I want to hear from them 100% of the time? No. I want it to somehow be balanced with how their opinions sit in the greater context of their cohort of experts. And it's interesting. So we asked the question, has Joe Rogan got that balance right? And I personally don't think he has. I mean, he has said in a video that, yes, he's interviewed these people with alternative ideas, but he's also spoken to these couple of doctors who do believe the mainstream and do argue for the mainstream. And he said, see, I'm like reaching into both sides and platforming them equally. I think that's an issue, though, because this isn't a 50-50 debate. This is a probably 99 to 1% debate. And should we argue that he balances that with how he presents it to his audience? It's not a he said, he said, or she said, she said. It is a he said and a thousand others said. Yeah, And exactly. that needs to be depicted. And I think Joe Rogan sometimes fails to do that because he's so intent on delivering information in the most entertaining, engaging, outlandish, controversial way because that's what gets listeners. Exactly. Now, in response to this, Spotify had to announce a new approach to dealing with COVID information with Spotify CEO Daniel Ek announcing some policy changes. He said the platform was working to add a content advisory to any podcast that includes a discussion about COVID. I'm very intrigued about what it will take for someone like Brené to come back because I don't think Brené Brown can come back only on the proviso that Joe Rogan gets dumped. Like Brene Brown will never release another episode if that's Mm. the case. But I wonder what her internal parameters are to come back and what she deems appropriate or inappropriate response from Spotify. Yeah, and I think anyone waiting for Spotify to remove Joe Rogan is kind of waiting for the sky to fall. I just do not think it's going to happen. One tweet that really took my interest was actually from New York Times reporter Matthew Rosenberg who wrote, Joe Rogan is what he is. We in the media might want to spend more time thinking about why so many people trust him instead of us. Coming up after the break, Rihanna is pregnant, new charges are laid against former television star Andrew O'Keefe, and we open the shameless mailbag for the first time of 2022. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. 
Zara officially free from COVID McDonald. What have you got for me? Yeah, these aren't getting very creative, are they? <laughs> My first story. Rihanna lets the world know she's pregnant in the most Rihanna way possible. That is from The Guardian and I know... Probably no one missed this. Riri is pregnant. <laughs> She's pregnant and she announced the news by being photographed out and about in New York over the weekend in photos taken by photographer Miles Diggs. Yeah, exactly. I loved this sort of snippet of copy from The Guardian who wrote, Walking the streets of Harlem where Rocky grew up in a snowstorm wearing a hot pink archive Chanel coat fastened with a single button and a Kristen LaCroix necklace draped over her bare stomach in what can only be described as the most Rihanna way to <laughs> let the world know she is expecting a baby. It was all of it. The pink coat, the snowstorm, them posing where he grew up. Yeah, all of it. It's great. And when we're saying him, we mean ASAP Sorry. Rocky. <laughs> oh my guy. God, we haven't even mentioned ASAP. We just have Rocky here. You did just be like, anyway, Streets of Harlem where Rocky grew up. And I was like, ah, we haven't introduced him. But yes, of course, Rihanna and ASAP Rocky have been together since November 2020. They have been friends for a long time as well. So it's really not surprising that by the beginning of 2022, they're welcoming a baby together. I mean, they've known each other for so long. They've spoken so highly of each other. And I just fucking love it. I love it a lot. I am also very intrigued by the fact that I'd never really checked how old Rihanna was or is. Mm. I'd never Googled, how old is Rihanna? She's just someone I've never thought of. <laughs> Me neither. She, and she's 33, which in many ways blew my mind because I was like, she has done oh. a lifetime in 15 years. Massively. She's literally done so, so much. People might remember back in May, ASAP Rocky did talk to GQ about his romance with Rihanna, calling her the love of his life when he was actually asked what it was like to be in a relationship he said so much better so much better when you got the one she amounts to probably like a million of the other ones I think when you know you know she is the one <gasps> stop Rocky, it's so cute. <laughs> yeah, they clearly know. They do. Now, some fans did make the point that they're hoping the baby is called Album because they have been waiting for an album from Rihanna. That is the silliest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> not a... Well, poor... Take it back. <laughs> Take I'm it not back. taking it back. I'm not taking it back. <laughs> poor Rihanna fans have said that she's promised albums for so long has now. Has she promised? Yeah, she has. She's come out before and uh. been like, an album's coming this year, guys. I know you're waiting for it. It's coming. And then it's six years have passed and there is still no album. So fans are kind of being like, well, fuck, an album's not going to come out now. She's about to be a mum. Anyway, very, very excited for Rihanna. That is going to be the world's most genetically blessed baby. It'll be a beautiful baby. My second story, Wordle creator Josh Wardle sells smash hit puzzle <laughs> game to the New York Times. That is from The Australian and it turns out I'm not the only one in the country that says smash hit. Yeah, you and The Australian, such cool <laughs> entities. Uh, two peas in a pod. <laughs> now, are you guys playing Wordle? No. Yes, now I am. You only started yesterday, I only started right? yesterday in my research for this. I have been obsessed with Wordle for about three weeks now to the point where I have a family group chat with like quite a motley crew of family members. My auntie Julie, my mum, my little brother and me are all in a group chat where we just send our Wordles to each other every day and try and beat each other. There's a huge vibe of I liked it before it was cool about that <laughs> whole point, Hannibal, in case you missed it. I listen to Triple J all the yeah. time. Now, in it is time we talked about Wordle because Wordle has been all 
all over my newsfeed for probably the last month. Mm. I saw it or I first sort of came into contact with it when people started sharing their Wordle scores on Twitter and I was like, what are these boxes? Like I don't <laughs> understand what in the world is going on. It has really taken the internet by storm and if you haven't played before, it is a once a day game. You can only play once a day where any player gets six chances to guess a five-letter word. That's it. That's all it is. It's really simple, Mish. Yeah, and the beauty of it is the word is the same for everyone who's playing around the world. It's so sweet. So when you're sharing it on Twitter or when you're sharing it in family group chats, it's like you're all playing the same game but from completely different corners of the world. And the fact you can only play it once... It's kind of nostalgic. It reminds me of newspaper games that you would play with your family where you'd flip to the end and do that like the nine box word thing. It's got that vibe and I think the fact you can only play it once is so crucial to its success. So what's the history of Wordle? It originally appeared as like a no-frills, ad-free amateur website in October. It had 90 users around the world by November 1. That grew to 300,000 in January and now millions play the game daily. Yeah, so the game came from this guy, a software engineer by the name of Josh Wordle. Wordle. (laughs) (laughs) Hence the name Wordle. But I think we're just going to call him Josh Wordle for the purpose of, you know, this segment (laughs) and he made the game for his wife he knew his partner loved word games so he wanted to create a bit of a guessing game for the two of them as a play on his last name of course he called it Wordle now (laughs) after a couple of months it became like a pretty rapid obsession he says in their family whatsapps and so he released it to the world in October and it really quickly took off I am really interested Mish in the pool with Wordle or the allure of Wordle because For me, I think you're right. Like playing once a day, there is something that's lovely about not feeling like you're going to get hooked on something Mm. and sit in front of something all day, every day. But what else do you think contributes to this like insane success? Well, I'm actually not sure apart from the fact that one thing I've noticed about this internet trend, which I have not noticed with others, is this did not funnel up through teenagers, this funneled down from older people like I found out about Wordle through my grandmother first and then found out about it through my mum so I think that speaks really interestingly to a flip of a dynamic with a trend in that this did begin on Twitter which has an older demographic than the average social media app and now most of my young friends are playing but it began with older people who loved this first yeah I think a lot of people are saying as well like there is also no like flashing banners no ads it's like very stripped back it feels like as you the comparison you made to a newspaper before it's about as close as you can get to doing a newspaper game Mm. online as you can what I really love about Josh Wardle the guy who founded this game is that he seems to know what will make people talk and what will make people play in the most lovely way possible in 2015 he actually created this game called The Button that went really viral. Now, I wasn't playing it. I hadn't heard of it. <laughs> I've never heard of this either. No, but it's really, really interesting. So The Button was like this kind of social experiment that he dropped on Reddit on April Fool's Day in 2015. And it was just a button that was a 60-second countdown. And basically what the social experiment was was like how long can you keep this button going because at every time someone clicks it, it goes back up to 60 seconds. So you can't let it roll down to zero, then the game's over. Oh. Does that make sense? Can't, I You're mean, both looking at me like it makes I no sense. 
to get it. I, I like d- almost I desperately want to tell you it makes sense. <laughs> no, no, but it's there's right. nothing going on. <laughs> we got time. Let's sit. So it's a button on Reddit. Yes. yes. And, and everyone has access to the same button. Yeah, yeah. Everyone has access to the same button, but people can only click it once. So you, if you want to save the button from sort of falling to zero, oh. you click it and then it goes back up to 60 seconds. And you constantly need new people to find the button so, so they like, also keep yes. it. Yes. Teamwork. It was a lot like teamwork. People were creating like subreddit forums on these. People were talking. There were like other websites built out to work out at what point the button was at so that someone could click it. Congratulations. You did well explain done. that. <laughs> and so the button lasted about three months. It lasted until June 5, wow. 2015. And that was the first time that no user actually pressed the button and it hit zero. And I think what's so interesting is the button garnered heaps of fans from Reddit users worldwide. And it did attract clicks from more than 1 million accounts. And I'm like, what is it about this guy that is so clever and tuned into maybe human psychology to know what it is that's going to bring out the best of people on the internet mm. because Reddit's a bit of a cesspit, Twitter's a bit of a cesspit, but these games are lovely. They are so lovely and they're so fun. Now, go Josh Wardle because he actually sold Wordle to the New York Times for, and I quote, a price in the low seven figures this week. Now, the New York Times is the official owner and I'm just fucking happy that Josh Wardle got a big payday. His wife and him can now probably go jet off around the world yeah. and they've given us all the best game ever. When you hear like low seven figures, what do you think? I think a million. A lot of money. <laughs> yeah, I think about a million, but someone was like, well, it really could be anywhere between one and three. Yeah. That's like heaps of money. Anyway, I don't know how to ask that question. <laughs> My third story, former TV host Andrew O'Keefe charged after alleged assault on woman. That is from ABC. Now, a quick trigger warning before I jump into this story. This story will detail instances of violence against women and may be triggering for some listeners. In case any of our listeners miss, did miss it, in the early hours of last Friday, News broke that former TV personality Andrew O'Keefe had been charged after allegedly grabbing a woman's throat before kicking and punching her in Sydney's CBD. Yeah, so O'Keefe is now facing two counts of intentionally choking a person without consent, three counts of common assault and one count of assault occasioning actual bodily harm. Now, this is one of many instances of alleged assault, alleged violence against women in particular, that O'Keefe has been involved with in the last year. Two charges were dismissed missed in 2021 on mental health grounds and O'Keefe was actually out on bail regarding a third charge at the time of last week's alleged assault. Later on Friday, a courtroom heard that the woman allegedly had to bite O'Keefe in order to escape him and the magistrate denied O'Keefe's request for bail due to the risk of further offending. I think what is really eerie about this story and the stories that have come before it when it comes to the allegations levelled at Andrew O'Keefe is the former Channel 7 presenter who is really widely known for hosting Deal or No Deal and then Sunrise and The Chase was chair of domestic violence charity White Ribbon when it was established in 2007 right up to 2019 In 2008, he was appointed to the inaugural meeting of the National Council to Reduce Violence Against Women and Children. It's just a troubling allegation, troubling story altogether, and it's probably all we can say until the court case eventually runs its course. Yeah, it's very difficult to make sense of a lot of this, and our hearts go out to anyone affected by it. Yeah, my fourth story... We just copped the wildest DM about Batchy and apparently the franchise has been totally revamped. That is from Pedestrian. What a story. What a story. You guys might have missed this one. I feel like it kind of 
flew under the radar a little bit, but you picked up on it, Zara. And basically what happened is Pedestrian received a DM from a reader who was actually claiming to be behind the scenes on The Bachelor and working in production. That source said that things are happening a little differently this year. In their message to Pedestrian, they wrote, I've heard from good authority that there's only going to be one season of Batch this year and it's going to have a male and female lead, meaning there is going to be a mansion of guys and girls coexisting just like Brooke's season. Now, the source also claimed that it is being filmed in the Gold Coast this year as they are attempting to, and I quote, refresh the series. Now, people might be listening to this saying, well, this is just an unnamed source in someone's random inbox. Why are we giving it any kind of airtime? And we're giving it airtime because it actually probably could be true. The reason for that is last month, the official Bachelor Facebook page dropped a call out for both single men and women to apply for the next season of The Bachelor. The call out read, are you searching for that special someone but just can't seem to find them? The Bachelor is back with a whole new look for 2022 and we are looking for single men and women who are looking for the love of their life. Mm, pedestrian reached out to Channel 10 who replied, trying to fit a square peg into a round hole is so 2020. Love is love and we look forward to casting our next Bachelor, whoever they may be. I love how seriously they take what is, this. What is that statement? I read that and I was like, is that a troll? <laughs> <laughs> is that a real statement? <laughs> Trying to fit a square peg into a round hole is so 2020. I mean, I think, you know what? This makes the most sense out of anything for Agree. me. I think this is probably true because we have said lots of times on this mic that The Bachelor is really struggling. Ratings are struggling. They've tried lots of different things. And maybe this is just like the last ditch effort. I agree. They've been taking too many bites at the same cherry in previous years. Like Bachelor in Paradise really ran its course. The Bachelorette ratings have been really struggling. So to combine the power of Bachelor and Bachelorette in one season and get one big bite of the cherry might be the smartest thing they could do. Annabelle, interested in going on? I wonder. Oh, wait, what? Wait, oh what did you say? <laughs> I said interested oh, in going on. No, no, no. I was following my own train of thought. Yeah. I was not listening <laughs> you to you. You weren't listening to me at all. What were you going to say? I was going to say, I wonder how much time the male and female leads spend together and whether there's a chance they could fall well, in love. Well, if they are finding wow. two eligible bachelor and yeah. bachelorettes, what's to say they're not going to fall for each other? This could be an absolute clusterfuck of a season That's and I'm what so they ready want. for it. Anyway, back to you. You're not You're not interested? Um, I'm not not interested, but I'm <gasps> oh. not interested. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Okay, if The Bachelor was like, <laughs> I was going to say Steve Carell, <laughs> someone that I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like this is my only opportunity to yeah. meet them. You could be Bachelorette though. You um, don't need to be one of the contestants. You're single, you're beautiful, you're charismatic and media trained. Channel 10, if you're listening. If you're listening. I think not, but and I if, love and if you you're not, if you're not interested also, you're not interested. <laughs> it's just just a fun little combo <laughs> having. Respectful bosses. Yeah, just, you know, whatever makes you comfortable, girl. <laughs> my fifth story, she is just like us. Zach Efron's ex-girlfriend Vanessa Valadares wears a bikini top as she enjoys a sausage sizzle at Bunnings with her Byron Bay artist boyfriend Todd Clare. That is from the Daily Mail, obviously. I don't know what other news publication <laughs> is making note of a sausage and a bikini top in the same headline. Vanessa Balladeris is back and she has a new boyfriend. I missed that. You missed it. I did not miss it. I have been <laughs> loving the Daily Mail's coverage of Vanessa Balladeris over the last week. If you're wondering who is Vanessa Balladeris, so glad you asked. She is the ex-girlfriend of Zac Efron. Now, New York-based publication The Cut actually referred to Vanessa Balladeris as hot normie because she was his hot 
normal girlfriend. Now, the reason everyone loved this is because Vanessa Valadares, our hot normie, was just working at a cafe looking hot when Zac Efron kind of took an interest and then they began dating and it became everyone's dream. It, it did become everybody's <laughs> dream. In fact, I think it had been everybody's dream for the last 15 years. Now, after months of silence from Vanessa Valadares, not that she's ever actually spoken to the media ever, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned anyway, we have seen her pop back up in pap photos all across Byron Bay because she does have a new boyfriend. As we said, he is a Byron Bay artist. That sounds very her, as <laughs> if I was to say what is very her. And she was papped, as I said, eating a sausage sizzle at the Bunnings car park. With ju- it's just so you and I of her. <laughs> so just like us. She was wearing white pants with a cool shirt over a red bikini and she also had this like you know how people are wearing their iPhones as if they're bags oh, yes. at the moment? Yes, but I, I can't get around it. Oh, really? Well, she was pulling it off. She was doing the hot normie thing of like she had her iPhone in a case that was connected to like a strap. So there was a full body you strap. You haven't seen that? No. A full That's body so strap stupid. with just her phone held there as if it's a bag. It's actually right. not stupid. <laughs> Let me just argue actually against myself for a second. <laughs> Think about like going to... A festival or something. <laughs> she realises having not been to a festival in about three years. And like not wanting to hold your phone. But don't you need to bring other things? I would just yeah. want a little bag. To yeah, no, I'm realising that. Yeah. Do you? Because you literally just told us your ID's in the back of your phone case. You've got Apple Pay on your phone. What do you need that's I not don't on need your anything. Phone? Everything's apart from a my key. ID. IDs should be on our phones. I don't understand why I can have my bank yes. certificate, my bank card, everything, oh, but not my ID. In your Apple wallet. Yeah, I don't know who this is a petition to. <laughs> Josh Waddle. <laughs> Josh Waddle, can you do it? Anyway, that is all I've got for you. Thank you so much. Hmm. You've got mail. Yes. Those are very powerful words. All right, guys, we are back. It is officially time to open the shameless mailbag. Annabelle, are you ready to read out today's submission? I am. This one is juicy. (laughs) It reads, Hi, shameless ladies. I'm hoping you can help me muddle my way through my complicated feelings for my little sister. You see, late last year, my sister, let's call her Nikki, decided she wanted to be TikTok famous. Almost overnight, she started filming and curating TikTok videos every day and began obsessively talking about how many views each video would get. She also started paying more attention to how she looks, what her hair and makeup looks like or what she's wearing than she did before. She's trying to sell an aspirational lifestyle with her account dripping in money I'm not even sure she has. (laughs) For a while, nothing really happened, but then out of nowhere, her account started blowing up. Now she's seriously considering dropping out of university to do TikTok full time. I wish I had a better way of wording this, but I'm starting to find her and her career choice extremely irritating. Every day has become about what she's eating, what brand she's wearing and what angles and lighting her videos are shot at. It feels inane, superficial and self-interested. I've caught myself feeling negatively about the whole thing and I'm struggling to contain my annoyance. I can assure you that it's not jealousy. I would genuinely hate to be TikTok famous. I'm in HR and love my job, life and privacy. So why the hell am I feeling this way? Am I an asshole for not being more supportive? (laughs) I mean, this is so interesting because I think it's an interesting thing to observe watching someone you know try to build a following on social media Mm. because it never looks particularly seamless when people are starting out. Like that's how every influencer has to start out talking to the camera as if they have an audience as they're trying to build one. But it does seem like we reserve the biggest eye roll for the people, not who are influencers, but for the people who are trying to become them. Yeah. And it's an interesting one as well, because I noticed Annabelle, as you were reading that out, 
this submission and this listener wrote about her little sister trying to become TikTok famous instead of a TikTok creator or a TikTok influencer. And I think that choice of wording reveals a lot, right? Yeah. It's like this sister is looking at her little sister and going, oh, well, you just want fame. You just want notoriety. You just want eyeballs on the stuff you do. And yes, part of that's true. Like influencing does require eyeballs and it does require attention. But the focus on the fame aspect might ignore the creative aspects or the content aspects that could be going on behind the scenes. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think it's it's one of those conversations about how do we consider people that might actively chase fame, whether or not this listener's little sister is doing it for fame or doing it because she feels fulfilled. I mean, right now it's kind of redundant because the sister at least thinks that she's chasing fame, right? Mm. And I think... I think we're very snarky to people who chase fame and I put myself in that category. I think I've probably eye-rolled before at people who I can see are actively chasing it out like it's the only thing they want. And then I'm like, I have to always check myself to be like, why are any of us any better than these people just because we might not want it? Like what is so ugly about wanting that in your life? I have to unpack that in myself because, yeah, maybe it might point to a little bit of ego. Maybe it might point to a little bit of vanity. But again, as is a point I've made on the show before, if that's not hurting anyone – who cares? Yeah. Yeah, it's such an interesting one because I was actually watching an episode of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills this week where one of the women on the show, her name's Lisa Rinner, she was being introduced to the show because the season I'm currently watching was her first season. So the audience needed to meet her. And one of the first things she said about herself is, you need to know that I love fame. I am famous. I've been <laughs> famous for a long time and I fucking love it. I'm not going to apologise for it. I love attention. Yes, some people might have some thoughts about that, but that's just me. That's just Lisa. And I watched it being like, that is so friggin' refreshing. Yeah. It's so refreshing to see someone be like, hell yeah, I enjoy the sugary aspects of my life and I like the fact that people like me and want to know about what I get up to day to day. It's candid and it kind of cuts through the bullshit that we see from a lot of celebrities probably. Like a lot of celebrities do court that attention and do seek that limelight while simultaneously trying to say that they don't want any of that. Like we know people do love fame. Yeah. Yes, I think uh, people do. I mean, I also think that we also hear hear from some celebrities that aspects of fame are very difficult but it would be really refreshing to hear a quote like that to be like fuck yeah this is what I want yeah but it's also like we don't live in a world where we let people say that very often like if this listener is already a little bit resentful just watching from afar as if that's the environment where the sister or the person who is becoming TikTok famous has any sort of power to be like but this is what I want like I am chasing the fame yes you're accusing me of doing exactly what I want The concept of what is and what isn't shallow to me is very interesting because what I'm gleaning from this submission, and I wonder if you agree with this, is that the little sister is pursuing a type of fame on TikTok that is maybe rooted in money, clothes, eating out. It's like aspiration on steroids Mm. and that she's spending all this money that she's not even sure she has. And I think with that in mind, I think the older sister does feel that this is incredibly shallow. Yeah. This is an incredibly shallow pursuit of work. And I, I've had to think about that as well because I'm like, what does shallow mean? Do we actually use the word shallow to describe anything that's not to do with women, clothes, makeup and money? 
Like, do we use that word to describe anything that men do ever? Yeah, that's so interesting. No one would describe sport as shallow. Never, because people are like, well, there's meaning there. There's stories Mm. and there's heroism or whatever it might be. And perhaps that is true. But it's like, well, clearly there's meaning to this line of work because how else would she be garnering thousands of followers doing it? Yeah, I wonder if as well if a layer of this for the listener is that this is a performance. I think that line about like, I think she's spending money she doesn't even have is like, this isn't even the real her. She's putting on an act to try and make it big on TikTok. And to that, I would kind of say to the listener, okay, perhaps that's true. Perhaps she is performing and you find that irritating as someone who has known her since the day she took her first breath. But also you could say to make it in this industry, you have to fake it till you make it. And I'm sure there are dozens of influencers out there who put designer clothing on credit cards that they probably can't afford, banking on the idea that if they present themselves in a certain way now, that will pay off in dividends down the track. Yes, it is hard to get your head around. Yes, it's not the most like wholesome career choice, but it's also a career choice. And I think when this listener wrote into us, maybe she wasn't considering the fact that While her little sister's career path is self-centred, while it's all about her life and her choices day to day and what's going on for her, it's also bringing a lot of people comfort. Think about this career choice beyond just your sister with her camera in her hand. Think about the many thousands of followers who are probably enjoying that stuff that she's putting out every day, finding it comforting or finding it entertaining or whatever. While it might not look like your career in HR, It is doing something for someone out there and it doesn't just stop at your sister. There is a whole group of people who are enjoying what she's putting out. It's actually really funny now that you say that because this is a funny example. But (laughs) on TikTok at the moment, there's this person, this girl who lives in Australia who keeps coming up on my feed who vlogs her days. Every single day she vlogs. And she has about 1,500 followers on TikTok. And every single day I watch her vlogs because I find them engaging and funny and self-deprecating. And I have thought to myself, I wonder what her friends and family think of this. Like they'd probably be thinking, who are you doing this for? Who cares? Who is even watching? And the answer to that is randoms in Melbourne like me who find joy in them. I think they're wonderfully done. So it might be weird to the friends and family of this girl that I kind of follow along with, but to me... I really enjoy it. And that's someone with 1,500 followers and you're getting enjoyment out of it. This girl that we're talking about today, this listener's little sister, sounds like she has a huge fan base. So think about how many people would sit here and like you say, well, I love her stuff. It's also a really hard one because on one hand I'm like, well, just because this isn't for you and just because you maybe find it vacuous and shallow, does it really affect you? Like does it really matter? But then on the other hand, to give this older sister a little bit of credit – What if this does start to affect you? What if it affects your relationship because your little sister is becoming more self-interested because you don't seem to value the same things Mm. because the nature of your relationship is starting to shift? That's not outside the realm of possibility here. And I think that does matter. But what do you do with that? Well, I think you need to have a conversation about that. But I think you need to be very, very careful about what you bring up in that conversation. You can only bring up the stuff in that conversation that actually affects you and none of the other kind of resentments that you're just experiencing because that's you stuff. You can only really say, I feel like our values are starting to kind of not be as aligned as they used to be. How do we find our common ground now? That's what you focus in on rather than you're doing this, you're doing that because you're just going to make someone feel embarrassed and defensive. Yeah. I also think as well, say this listener works in HR. If she rocked up to every brunch meeting with her little sister and brought her laptop and was answering emails, that would be frustrating. If this little sister is bringing work to every meeting that they have, every breakfast they share, 
that's not cool. Like, yes, it might just seem to her like, oh, she just vlogs everything she does. She always whips out her camera and either takes a photo or takes a video or whatever. You can say as her older sister, that's your work now and that's fine to be your work, but don't bring your work into our family relationship. Leave your work at home, vlog other things. I don't want that to be something that infiltrates our thing because if you're making that your work, that's your work and you need to sanitise that from your private life. I think when I read this, I was like, I wonder what I would be like as the older sister because if I was the older sister, I would probably maybe have similar feelings. And so for that reason, I don't think they're ugly feelings. I think they're natural feelings, but I do think a lot of this is your shit to be totally honest with you in the same way that it would be mine and when I kind of made sense of the letter and thought through what I was going to say I also thought like what does life look like and what does this relationship look like if you embrace her doing this fully like if you let go of bitterness and resentment and you just say you know what I will take this at face value. You know what? It's making her happy. It's making other people happy. And yes, maybe I want to have a conversation with her about how to stay grounded through it and how we still connect through it. But beyond that, like, wow, look at her go. Like, is there not a sense of peace that goes, I do have a choice here to let go of the stuff that I'm holding on to. And maybe there is no greater meaning behind why I'm Mm. resentful and why I'm bitter. Maybe I should just be like, she's doing a good thing and I will keep an eye on her but she's doing a good thing. I love that so much. I think one thing I've learnt the older I've gotten and the more I've matured is that there is great power and great peace in observing someone in your life who you might not always agree with, whose views and ways of thinking might be very challenging and going, that's them and I love them for them. Yes, we're not going to agree on everything, but that's who they are. And given the name she gave us was Nikki, I don't know if that's the actual name of this sister, but <laughs> that's Nikki. And while I don't always agree with Nikki, I love Nikki. And I think that's a very peaceful way to approach this when this is your sister and you want your sister in your life. And she's not hurting anybody. No. Like I think the crux of that idea is that like if they're not hurting anyone and they're just maybe making you cringe or maybe making you kind of stirring stuff up in you that you can't quite make sense of, I think it's maybe time to let it go. Sounds like Nikki's fucking killing it. I would love to know who Nikki actually is. (laughs) Nikki. (laughs) Guys, I think that is all we've got time for today. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. And if you do want to support the show, we are always uploading little snippets of our episodes to TikTok. We are there at shameless underscore podcast. Thank you so much, Zara McDonald. Annabelle Lee, anything to add? Um, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thanks so much, guys. We will be back in your ears next Monday for another episode of Scandal. Bye.